people don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. And I think whether it's your business or it's your own finances, I think preparing ahead of time, creating a plan around this preparation and the ability to pivot. Hi, everybody. I'm Allison Ramsey, the host of the Empire Life podcast, where we interview female founders from all around the world. And we are also a business where we mentor women in super scaling their online businesses in Empire Life. And today I'm with special guest Shinobu Hendert. I hope I said your name correctly. And she is a money expert and the creator of Empowered Planning. And I'll hand it over to her to intro herself a little bit more. Yeah, thank you, Allison. So I am a certified financial planner. I've been in the financial industry for over 15 years. And now I really specialize in simplifying the complex world of finance. And it looks different to everyone. So we try to kind of personalize the approach. But I am really excited to be here today. I'm excited to dive in too. And I also hear... If you guys see in her background, she's a best-selling author, too, of Investing is Your Superpower, which we're going to grab. Our, the, my team and I are definitely going to read coming up. And it's super <laughs> exciting. I love when I see women getting their voices out there, as we are here in the podcast. So I want to dive right in, and especially in the financial industry, because I've understood it to be primarily male identifying dominated and what are some of the challenges that you feel like you've overcome personally or in your industry what comes up for you and then how did they benefit you and make you stronger in the end of it yeah that's a great question I think when you're kind of in the thick of these obstacles you don't look at them like oh this is really going to teach me something in the future you kind of you know you're taking it as it comes and one of the things I was running into a lot was just also being young in the industry, when you're fresh out of college and you're working, I think it's easy, you know, whatever you look like for people to kind of minimize your opinion or your voice, because they're looking at you like you don't know anything. And that kind of carries over into the next year and the year after that, because we don't always feel the growth that's happening. And if the people that are treating us like that, they're also getting older, you know, to them, you're not really maturing. So I think one of the things that I had a difficult time with was being young, talking about finance, because it's a pretty intimate topic when you're sitting across from someone and you're really diving into their entire financial life, right? They feel naked in front of you and they're looking at you like, well, you're really young. I don't really know that I want to talk to you about this. And then the female element of it is it is a lot of males in the industry. And I looked really different. I had a different name and I was young. And so a lot of those challenges um, came to me. And then I started to agree with them, you know, like, well, I am really young. They are right. Well, I am a female, like I do have a different background. So, so I think overcoming that, um, what really helped me was becoming an expert in my field and trying to figure out what are all the things that I don't know. And there was, you know, 10 million things that I didn't know. And the industry and the financial markets are always changing. So there's always things that you don't know. So I really was looking at, what are areas for me to become better at my craft and really leaned into the education? That's why I became a certified financial planner. There's extra schooling that you do. There's tests that you take, but it really gives you a holistic view of the financial industry. So if you're looking at a product, 
to sell to someone, it's not just a product. You're looking at this product, like how does this fit into the whole sleeve of everything else that they're doing? And that gave me a lot of internal confidence. Once I had the background and the experience, I really told myself, this is just something I need to overcome. But as soon as I sat down with someone and really started to dig into their overall situation, they were immediately comfortable. And then that made me comfortable. So I think just investing more in my personal education and professional education helped me build confidence to really overcome some of these obstacles that either people put in my head or I put in my head. Oh, those are all great. You know, this is amazing feedback or the, the feedback loop that you were even able to tell yourself or the empowering words to tell yourself. And I'm guessing too, probably as you met with more clients, you started to hear similar stories or similar threads just through the stories. So then you could kind of unleash their vulnerability or I guess uh, unguard them or help take down their guard because you yeah, absolutely. heard similar things. Yeah. And if you're not, you know, when you're working with someone in the financial field, you're not necessarily, you're not, you know, going on a camping trip with them and you're like, okay, I have three days to get to know them. And I can see it's like, you know, you're sitting there and like, okay, how much money do you have? You're like asking all these questions. So there is this level of, you need to get comfortable with this person fast. So really finding common themes that you have with this other person, really explaining why I'm good at my job and going through the education, going through my personal experiences, how I've helped other people. They're like, okay, you've seen this before and letting them know if I don't know the answer, I'm not going to BS my way through this or guess, here's the resources that I have at my fingertips and I'm going to use them in helping to figure out your situation. I think that also helps people. Like I'm not sitting here, like I know yeah. everything one and done. And that really people are like, okay, great, good. Cause I know you don't know everything and you know, you don't know everything. That's great. I, I yes. And, and even in the mentoring, well, in, in, a, in a sense, you are their financial mentor, but as a person who's been doing business mentoring for a while, it's similar. I think it's, you know, I don't like to compare or draw contrast, but I think it's a feminine superpower to be able to say, you know, I don't know that specifically and I can get back to you on it. Whereas I've seen, you know, in my, my industry or coming from software before, there is a tendency for more masculine or not healthy masculine energy to say, oh yeah, I got all the answers. You know, you just need to pay me more money and I have all the answers to everything. Yeah, it's and, kind of like the age old, um, I don't know, joke where men won't stop and ask for directions. Right. right? It's kind right. of like, I know it, I know this, I know this. Like, mm -hmm. you don't know it. It's totally mm -hmm. fine to tell people you don't know it. And actually you invite more trust when you let people know that you don't don't know the answers. It's a superpower. And yeah, you're you're right. You You invite more trust and help them to be more vulnerable. And no, they know that you also have the resources and you're going to find the answer and you're going to get back to them and follow up about and probably learn more. And the more you do that, then you're a wealth of wisdom that over time, you probably don't need to look up as much as many things that you, you start to be able to have the answer on hand or faster or you can still dive into it, which I love taxes, for example, but I feel like I'm not an accountant or not a CPA. So there's always something that I can learn from a CPA or, and I'm sure that they still have things to learn too. Right. Well, especially to the tax laws keep changing. So yes, there's always. Oh yeah, exactly. Learn. Yes. And every state is different. 
I mean, I'm I'm thankful to be in Texas because there's no state income taxes, but I'm sure that they have to think about that for every single state if they were doing taxes there. And I want to dive in if you feel like this is a little bit different topic. Entrepreneurs need a morning routine, and if you have one and what that looks like, I just love this question, especially for women, because. I think that self-care is so integral and something that sometimes we, the first thing we put to the side when we're going about our lives. Yeah. So my children are really young still. I have a a three-year-old and a new five-year-old. So I, mornings are really tough. If I wake up early, they wake up. So I have to, um, basically now I've kind of let go of these expectations that I need to do certain things in the morning for myself, because then I get stressed out if I don't do them. And the more I looked at it, I'm like, I'm kind of setting myself up to fail. I know that, it, you know, if I am up and they hear doors opening, they're going to be like, okay, it's time to get up. And then that's kind of, they need more sleep and all of that. So, you know, one thing I'm kind of, um, inviting in for myself is just to go with the flow of whatever that happens to look like, because with them. I'm like, they're not for the rest of their lives. They're not going to want to come in to cuddle in bed with me in the morning. So I was kind of just meeting it with some resistance of like, okay, well, they can't be in here. They need to go in there so I can do these things that I need to, you know, prep myself for the morning. And it was making me frustrated. And for them, I'm like, you know, here they are waking up in the morning, wanting to cuddle and I'm telling them they have to go back to their own rooms. And I'm like, this isn't what I want to be doing. So I don't have, um, kind of the same things that I do every day. I think what I do a lot is prep myself the night before so I can have things ready to go with whatever that looks like and then find pockets through in the day where I have time to just sit and sometimes it's just breathe. I see you have a beautiful candle in the background and sometimes that's what it is. I put on some light music. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly meditating, but it's time where I'm just de-stressing. And I try to make space for myself every day for 30 minutes to an hour. So whether that's exercise, whether that's walking, whether that's, you know, um, sitting in silence, whatever that is, but just doing that every single day and scheduling it on my calendar. So if I have to move it, I'm, or I reschedule it. I don't cancel it all together. And then let's say there's two crazy days where I can't do it then I really try to make space for it where before I think I would just work through it. And it's like, okay, I just got to get this stuff done. Like I'm not important, right? There's all these other things that are more pressing, more important, other people, clients, whatever the case is. But now it's like non-negotiable. I won't, I won't do that. So I don't specifically have a morning routine that's for myself, but I weave it into the day. I think as the kids get older, I'll have the flexibility to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. but for right now, it's like, I'll have my routine, but go with the flow. If it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) I'm going to be okay. Just make sure I have to. Yeah. That's true. Isn't it wise words? Because you're on point about how kids probably don't want to, I have a teenager and and she definitely doesn't want to cuddle with me that much anymore. I get a hug (laughs) here and there that I kind of steal for myself (laughs) or the side hug. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm happy with that. And when she was a lot younger, I allowed her to sleep in the bed a lot of times, I think till maybe five or six. And well, she kind of decided she didn't really want to be sleeping in the bed anymore. At that she's age like, oh, anyway. I'm over this. I'm over this. Yeah, that's, that's she, kind of what I'm, I'm looking at is like, you know, right. what? it's not going to be forever. They're going to be too cool for me at some point. So I just have to 
yeah. live in the moment. Yeah, and that's a beautiful part of a morning routine to have your kids be wanting to cuddle with you and wake up gradually with you in bed. Like that's just that's really special. Yeah, and I'm sure that sometimes it, it's easy to think I got to do all these things and yeah. immediately go to your to do list as soon as you wake up. I've definitely been there and. I was just talking about this with a client recently, how it gets easier to, I'm sure you're probably finding this too, that it gets easier to not immediately go to your to-do list when you're around your kids and they're talking, telling you a more long-winded story, for example, or I want to play with this thing with you, but you, I used to, this is my third company and my first one when she was a baby. So I think she was a baby till five. Um, and then I started my second company. And it just, it, I used to remember having a difficult time being present in the moment sure. and the, the first time. And sometimes she would put her hand on my shoulder and be like, mommy, are you here? No, no I wasn't there. I, I wasn't. And that was extremely grounding for me. When she would do that, I was like, thank you for doing that because I wasn't really focused on what you were saying. Mommy has so many things running through her head that she's thinking about and things I need to do for my company. That's not related to you in this moment. And I, I'm here. I'm present. I'm present. And it became easier over time that I don't need to say that so much that I can almost it just intuitively move the to-do list in the back or like you said, reprioritize and move something to another day and be fully present in that moment with the people I care about. I think that's definitely a skill and a, a, a skill that needs to be practiced by yeah. entrepreneurs, yeah. especially with kids. Cause we can tend to miss some of those moments like you're talking about. Yeah. And I think um, just having that, forgiveness for yourself and you kind of just learn because you fall on your face you know it's like you push through it and then like you said your kids are just like hello over here <laughs> and you're feeling bad about that or you're burnt out and you're like well this isn't sustainable so I can't keep doing this so you you know I learned from falling on my face so many times that I'm like okay we have to do things differently I've done this the same way it's not working let's make a change um so I'm trying to be more aware of all of those things so I don't don't have to uh fall on my face so many times I think uh, for sure I want to add in there too that it's okay to release the mom guilt and I've had a lot of times where I've said to my daughter I have to focus on this thing right now and you need to read or find yeah. something to entertain yourself. And I promise I want to hear what you have to say. I have to do this. And then when I finish, I will re-touch base with you and listen to what you have to say. And you have to get it. Because our work is a priority. That's the bread and butter. That's what puts money on the table. That's what supports our family. So it's like you, you got to – and it's our passion – you know, that's also important, even if there's ups and downs and there might be some months when it's not making as much money, it's still worth the investment and it's going to continue to rise and go higher again or like the sky's the limit. And I think with her seeing 
that she understands business a lot more as than a lot of her peers. And it's not really an issue over time as maybe it was in her toddler years. Yeah. I think it's important yeah. to learn how to entertain yourself and learn what's important. And, um, you know, talking about work, not like it's a drag, you know, like I can't spend time with you because I have to work. And it's like, Oh, it's like, no, like you just said, it's a good thing. This is my passion. This is what's helping feed everybody. So this is, this is a good thing. So they're not looking at work. Like it's this bad thing that we have in our lives, um, right. sh- sharing that with them. But it's also too, like, only boring people get bored, you know, as I try to tell them, like, go do something, find something else to do. You have like Legos, you have, you know, whatever you have, go make something fun. And then you leave them alone enough and they do, they have, they make a masterpiece and you're like, this is awesome. They do. They can be so independent and capable of a lot more than we give them credit for. Totally. That's how I feel. And the vocabulary or the words that they understand I think is less than what we give a lot of kids credit for too. Yeah. Just one quick little cute thing in there. Um, my son is getting confused between the word expert and excellent. So he's like, oh, this, oh yeah, I'm an excellent. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> so that's really That's cute. super cute. It's so cute. I'm excellent at this. <laughs> yeah. I'm You're like, yeah, you I'm are, like, you are. Yeah. yeah. I hope he continues to feel that way. That's amazing. Yeah. I want to move on to the next one about, well, I want to skip a few and and just go ahead and go to the childhood story one about a childhood story that you feel is reflecting on what you do today. Yeah, my childhood was really impactful in my line of work today. So growing up, my father was from Kenya and my mother was from Japan and they immigrated here to the U S and started a family and they didn't, we didn't have any relatives in the United States. And, um, you know, there was no cell phones at that time. And so forms of communication were difficult. And my dad had lost both of his parents before he turned 18. So he, you know, sat me down. I was probably seven or eight years old. We were having dinner and he just said, you know, you need to know everything that is going on with the family and our finances and how much money I make and how much things cost. Because if something happens to your mom and I tomorrow, you don't have any family here and your mother's family doesn't speak English. So no, basically it was kind of a scary conversation. He's like, no one's going to be here to help you. So you need to figure out how things work. And I remember I took it so seriously because that's a scary thought. And he lost his father in a car accident and he lost his mother very young, I think before he was five to cancer. So for him, he was just like, hey, at any moment in time, we're not going to be here and you need to know how to survive. So he was kind of teaching me more survival skill sets. So over time, it became really aware of how much money we had. Um, You know, I remember times where like our heat was broken. And I don't know if they couldn't afford to fix it or we couldn't get somebody over. And I was wearing, you know, sweatshirts and coat. And it was like, you had to get dressed to have breakfast. You know, it was like this big thing and wrapping yourself up and you're eating breakfast. And I remember like when school was starting, I knew when to not ask for new shoes. There was just, I was just very aware of everything that was going on and they shared it with me. Um, And it was really what brought me into this field in the first place, because I was so curious about creating a financial plan. I didn't know that you could do that. You know, I was just like, okay, you work, you have money, you save money, or you spend money. Like that was the 
extent of what I knew. So when I was really exposed to the stock market and financial planning, I was like, what, how do you, what is that? And how do you learn about that? That sounds crazy. I think the stock market to me was, you know, like looking into a black hole, like what are all these things and charts and it made no sense to me. And I was in um, economics major and a business minor, and I still had no idea. And I was almost graduating. So I, every internship I took was in a, in the financial field. I wanted to get a feel for it. And I think a lot of the decision to go into this business was based on fear, was based on this fear that at some point I'm going to be completely alone in the world and totally helpless. And I'm going to need to know what to do. And that was really how I looked at every job. Like every job I took is like, what life skill can this job teach me? I was really in the mode of survival. And I think where my dad grew up and how he grew up, there aren't a lot of kind of luxury choices that he had to make. A lot of the choices that he made were based on survival. And so he kind of raised me like that, which was, you know, a lot of fear, fear-based. And so that was the reason why I took certain jobs that I took, um, helped me get into this field and just be more aware of the day-to-day issues that people face when it is, when it comes to their money. And I kind of saw my parents go through good times, bad times, you know, all of that. And from the age of eight and had that experience. So by the time I was in my early twenties, I felt pretty comfortable having financial conversations. Um, but I had to kind of undo the fear behind it of like, this is a tool to leverage yourself and to propel yourself towards you know, more growth, if that's what you're looking for, or wealth or whatever that is, instead of do these things, because everything could get taken away from you. And I still have to work with that. So even though this is my profession, I understand, you know, all different kinds of things when it comes to investing and financial planning and money, I still have to work on the fear based because that's really as a child, that's what I was told is that everything's going to get taken away from you. Um, So it kind of all happened organically. I would say. Wow. Thank you for sharing. So openly, I definitely relate personally to the fear-based part of it. And we were raised with hardly anything, you know, growing up. And I will say there was even a tie or something I'm starting to undo. Well, I still catch myself, like you said, coming from that mindset and also something I tied together was there was um, how do I put this into words a frame of mind or a mindset where it's almost immoral to be really wealthy like you must oh, yeah. have I mean, done I, I get that yeah I get that all yeah. the time where people feel like yeah. it's almost e- like evil or greedy yeah. or bad to want mm-hmm money or wealth or anything. And it's like, we like, you're exactly right. We need to, I think what's awesome about what you just said is that you've identified it. That's, that's the biggest thing, like just really figuring out because we're saying all these things in our head, we're not walking around shouting out everything that comes into our head. So sometimes we don't even realize it. Like we are telling ourselves this story. It's not somebody else we're telling ourselves, but Mm -hmm. to take the time to listen to what that is, is really important. Cause once you identify it, you can work with it. But if you don't identify it, then you're just like, I'm going to keep myself down. And then that passes to the next generation. And then you're kind of keeping everybody. Yes. down. So that's really yes. powerful that you have, you know, identified it and you acknowledge it and um, can work through it. Yes. And I have no resentment towards my parents for that. So now at this point, if I hear them say something that's along that thread of we need to suffer and suffering makes us more moral in some way or 
if someone is wealthy, there's this idea that they must have done, like you said, they must have done something evil, they must be selfish, they self-absorbed, all these different kind of negative connotations, which is obviously we know is not true. And I can take it with a grain of salt and forgive them and just still listen and hold space for some of their beliefs. And at the same time, that's not my belief. And that's yeah. not how I view money. And I can let it go and forgive because like you said, it's, we recognize it, The that's a, a thread and it stops with me. You know, totally. this, this generation. Yeah. I mean, I hit on that a lot in the first chapter of my book. Um, Amazing. Really working through like, what are the steps? What are some, you know, top emotions that we feel towards money? Identify what kind of your, um, thought processes, where do you go with money? And then how do we get over it? You know, acknowledge, respond to it, work through it, figure out what you need. If you need someone to talk to about it, do you need a professional to partner with? Is it something you just need to sit with, but, but work through that. So you're getting to the other side. And I think that stops a lot of people from really diving into their finances in the first place. Cause they have these, you know, um, I call them money blind spots that get in the way that they're telling themselves, I can't dive in deeper to this. So I think just really acknowledging what yours are and figuring figuring out what they are and not putting any blame or shame around them, but just putting them out on the table. And it's like, well, now that they're here, let's figure out what to do with them instead of like sh shaming yourself for having these feelings in the first place. Yes. And where did they come from? Like, what's the root of them? I mean, you probably talk about that too. Like where, yeah. where is this inner voice coming from? Because I talk a lot about that in my chapter in, in redefine is all about money too. And I kept thinking, well, what is my money? Where, what are my money beliefs? Because I wasn't quite agreeing with my sibling or my parents or how I was raised and had a lot of questions around, but I can tell a story really quick that, when my mom put me in preschool, I think I was three because I was incessantly asking so many questions and she's like, I just can't, I'm not like keeping up with this kid. This kid's just bouncing off the walls with questions. <laughs> That's, that was her words. And I went to preschool and one of my best friends, which obviously I didn't know at the time because you're three, her parents were extremely wealthy or she was extremely wealthy and she invited me to her three-year-old birthday party which was in the top of a hotel on the top floor you could see the whole city there's windows all around the hotel room it was a penthouse suite and well first of all I was the only kid that didn't go with my parents because I didn't want to go with my mom there's just a general feeling I was like I'm independent I can do this I'm just gonna go by myself my mom said I don't know why you're saying that. Everybody else is going to have their parents there. So that doesn't matter. I want to go by myself. So she took me up all the elevator, like 40 floors or something. And then she said bye to me. And I was really the only parent, the only person there without their parent. And when I saw all the pizzas on the table, I had never seen so many different types of pizzas. But she wanted pizza for her birthday. So they brought out on trays, like 15 different kinds on this wow. really long table and I remember thinking if this 
family can have this, like, then we can have it. Or if this is possible, then this is possible for me and, like, my kids. Even at three, I remember having that idea. Like, how come this is possible for them? Not in a negative way. Sure, um, yeah, in, curiosity. In, like, yeah, the curiosity. Like, how did they get this? How is my friend so comfortable in this lifestyle? And I felt really comfortable, too. I felt like, this is, this is incredible. This is the best birthday party I've ever, like, still probably one of the best birthday parties I've ever been to. And uh, I did talk about, a little bit about that in my chapter, how my parents were really uncomfortable when they found out about this friend and their wealth, and I wasn't invited to see her anymore, and she wasn't able to come to my house. So she didn't ever come to my house, and I went to her house a few times, and she had a life-size train that went through the bottom floor, like her toy room that I rode on that was like a real train that went through her house. And it reminded me, like you're talking about, that she didn't have those kind of similar feelings that I didn't really understand it either, why she wasn't allowed to come over. And as I got older, I can, I can get it that if you're, you're maybe embarrassed that, you know, her mom might judge my mom, and I get, I get some of that, those feelings, you know, as I, as I got older, and I wasn't where I thought I wanted to be, or I, I don't know if I'll ever be completely where I want to be. I always have bigger goals, and I can tell my daughter now, if she's had some friends that are a lot wealthier than where I was at at the time, and, like, I'll get there, you know, like, I'll, I'm going towards that, <laughs> and I'm really proud of them. I think that's incredible that they've raised such great kids that are humble and grounded and how successful they are, So, and I want them to come over to our house, and I want her to go over to their house. You know, like, there's, there's not the same stigma. Sure, yeah. As around the wealth. Yeah, that's just it's all really interesting of how much we carry as a belief system. Again, those like voices in your head. So when you're making big financial decisions, whether it's about your business or personal, those are going to come up. You know, when you're making little decisions around money, we do that every day. Maybe it'll pop its head up here and there, but the big decisions that we make, they're going to come out. And so just to be aware of how to work through them. So you're, you're using all of the tools that you have available to you to make informed decisions that you're not making a decision out of fear or something like that to kind of hold, hold yourself back or blindly make a decision. Yes, definitely. I think even in a spiritual way, if we're making it out of fear, we're saying we don't have enough. Yeah. It leads us to not have enough more times than if we're coming from the place of I'm going to, it's expansive. It still feels expansive for me, for example, to spend a good amount of money on clothes or going out to eat. Things that seem more luxurious that I could live without, that it, you know, there are more like desires yeah. that I'm fulfilling. And to be able to let that go, like, no, I deserve this. It feels extremely expansive. And then it leads to more money, I think. Coming in, I want to dive into the next one. That what do you feel are some of the top 
three things or or some of the top traits that make an entrepreneur successful? I think the biggest thing that I find is the ability to pivot and, and not do it so quickly that you're, you know, coming up with an idea and then you're changing it right away and then changing it. But, you know, being able to be confronted with a challenge or an obstacle to evaluate really what was the intention of this direction in the first place? Have we kind of exhausted all options? Okay, now what? You know, what I, I've seen sometimes is people kind of double down maybe on not, not a good decision. And because they're just like, well, this is the decision I made and I got to stick to it. And this is the, the path um, versus saying, okay, now that we know that, what is something adjacent to what we were doing that might look a little bit different that we could tweak and pivot into the success of this program or what, whatever the case is. So I think being able to pivot and not holding on to while we create a lot of goals, not holding on to that goal to be like, this is the path that I need to get there, but understanding I'm going to get there. It might look a little bit different and I have to be flexible in that. I think if you're overly rigid or overly tied to specific milestones or goals, it, it, you can kind of lead yourself down the wrong path if you're doing it that way. But if you are flexible to pivot and that's really what's going to allow your business to be around for years and years. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. The, that makes or breaks successful entrepreneurs, for sure. And so what what do you feel like is some of the overlooked strategies when it comes to people looking at their financial plan? I'm just curious, what are some of the first ones that come to mind? Um, overlooked strategies, I think leveraging other people, other people's knowledge. You know, I think if you can do it yourself, or you haven't made a mistake so detrimental that you're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this by myself. There's, there tends to be this overconfidence that people, people get when it comes to finances, if they haven't made a mistake. So then they, this kind of builds on itself over time that they're like, oh, I can do this myself. I figured it out before I could do it myself. But as you build wealth or get older or tax changes, you know, things like these happen, you really like, why not get the knowledge? Why not have the knowledge to make a more informed decision instead of doing it in your own bubble? So an overlooked strategy is really kind of making a decision in a silo instead of inviting in professionals or other education so you can look at things differently. So I even have a financial planner. I can do it myself. I know I can, but I know that I'm looking at it from my lens and only from my vantage point. I want somebody else's opinion to come in and challenge the way that I'm thinking and open my mind up to other ideas as well. I also want, because I am very, tend to be very fear-based with my own finance, mm -hmm. I want someone else's like stamp of approval. You know, another professional that's looking at it the way that I'm looking at it's like, yep, I agree with that. That makes sense. Here's why I like it. And it's like, okay, great. I'm on the right track. I don't, I've worked really hard to get to the place that I'm at. And um, I don't want to lose things that I have at this point. So I need to make sure that I'm not going to screw this up by jumping off track or, or not looking underneath, you know, a different rock. So having strategy to invite other professionals in. And, and I think two years ago was the first time I actually hired a CPA to do my own taxes. Um, again, I'm like, I could do it myself. It's like, yeah, you can. However, you're getting to a point where you have, you know, different business taxes, you have other things going on. It is nice to get a professional in there who's looking at it, who can help you. Number one, not make any mistakes on your taxes. You don't want to do that. 
um, and then just have the foresight of let's let's complement your financial plan with how we're doing your taxes. So that that's definitely an overlooked strategy. And this overconfidence that we get, it really comes from a psychological place. It comes from a place of positivity because we're feeling good about ourselves. So if you are optimistic about life in general, you you tend to be overconfident about how you're handling your finances. And it's it's okay until a point where you feel like, I'm so smart, that's why my money's growing. And it's like, you don't want to do that. It's because you're invested in the financial markets. The financial markets have no emotions, no feelings. They work the way that they work. And you just want to make sure that your plan um, is complementing everything that you're doing. So that's that's what I would start with. So I have two questions based on the things that you just said. So we yeah. were talking about how your clients need to feel vulnerable or they it's important for them to feel vulnerable with you. How did you go about feeling more are not guarded are vulnerable with your financial planner? Just curious. Um, I think I've been really open about my finances because it was something that I'd been exposed to when I was young. So I've mm-hmm. always been really open an open book about them. So it didn't, it didn't take much. And I'm, and I think because I want to just out of a curiosity mind and a creative, from a creative standpoint of how your financial planning, I wanted more knowledge. So I'm like the first person to raise my hand. It's like, does anybody, I'm like, Oh, I have a question. I need help. Like over here, over here, you know, I'll sit at the front of the classroom just to get that. Cause I have like a hunger for that knowledge. So I've been really open about it. And I think that once you find a person that you trust you, that comfort level comes, if you're feeling really guarded, you know, more than one occasion, then it's like, well, maybe it's just not the right person. For you to be working with. Yeah, that's another good question. Are there were there some questions that you ask, or did you look at their experience? How did you oh, know? I, that I had was known the right them professionally person? for years. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had known them professionally for years and just really respected their what they do, their company, all of that. So it was it was an easy. It was almost like, will you have me? Will you have me? That <laughs> kind of situation. <laughs> I understand that. That's the best way through word of mouth or through someone that you already have a relationship with. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So we're, we're coming up to the end of the podcast. Before we hop off, what do you feel like are the three top concepts? It could be about business or finance that you really want to leave the audience with. Yeah, the one, um, I don't know who exactly said this, but I, I heard it and then it kind of stuck with me for forever is people don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. And I think whether it's your business or it's your own finances, I think preparing ahead of time, creating a plan around this preparation and the ability to pivot. So I would say those are like the top three is you don't want to be flying blind. Um, You don't want to be overly committed to what your plan is because you need to be able to pivot, but have direction in place, lay the groundwork out. You want to have a roadmap for how you're getting there. And then you can kind of tweak, tweak along the way. That's a great concept for sure. Do you have something more you would like to add to that? Um, I don't think so. I think just, you know, not taking everything so seriously has been really important for me. And I think the reason why my business has grown how it has grown, because my business looks so different than when I started it. You know, when I started it, it was a totally different concept, different everything. And then as you're going, you're getting live feedback from your clients or from an audience. And then you're kind of changing and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. So whatever, just get started at the lowest possible price point 
and then actually see what happens, you know, rather than like saving all this money, preparing, getting this business, nice, squeaky, shiny, and then you get it out there in the world and everyone's like, we don't want it, you know, and you're like, oh man, I just like <laughs> did all this work. And then you kind of double down. Cause you're like, well, I already invested this much in it. You don't want to do it that way. Just create, you know, your minimal spend, put something out there over time. You'll make it more shiny. But in the beginning, it's like, just put it out there, get the feedback from people of what they're looking for, and then and then pivot throughout until you find the lane that you really want to be in. Yes, that's great advice. I remember now what I was going to ask, if you think it's good to meet with a financial planner yearly, or do you meet with them monthly and you look at all the budget and all the spending monthly? Because I yeah, see so, that so there's like different, yeah, totally different strategies different. for them. Yeah, they're so financial planners are mostly going to be looking at an overall arching big plan and your investments. What I do now actually as a coach is that level of spending and looking at that. You do that once a year, it's kind of meaningless, right? It's like, you'll look at that. Maybe I'll give you a slap on the wrist and be like, don't spend so much money there. And you're like, okay. And then a year goes by and it's like, well, I'm in the same boat. So I really help people with their business finances as well. And those like, it's a big ship. So we can't just make small changes quickly. And then all of a sudden we're in a new direction. There's a lot of moving pieces, especially if you have staff, like how are we going to make these incremental changes that does need to be touched on pretty frequently. And then once that's all set, then you can meet with someone maybe quarterly. You have to find the cadence that's right for you. It depends on um, the type of business. If it's a business where they have a lot of goods that they need to stock and there's inventory involved, that you might, might want to meet more frequently to make sure you're staying on track with budgets. Um, but something else that might be more service-based, maybe it's quarterly, that kind of thing. But once you create your strategy or plan, then you can kind of determine how much do I need to tweak this on a you know ongoing basis. So what I hear you saying is it might be better to meet more frequently at the beginning until someone really has a strategy down and then they can maybe pull back a little bit yeah, more. Exactly, because okay. you want to know yourself too. You want to know like, how quickly do I make changes? If I make these changes, do I stick to them? Like, what does this all look like? So it's the first, in the beginning, you're just kind of experimenting with yourself as, as an individual of how am I going to treat these finances? What role do emotions play? How do I make financial decisions? And then as you're making them kind of, again, getting that live feedback of what it's like in real life, and then you can figure it out from there. I love it. And is your name Japanese? Yes. My first name is Japanese. Oh, yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. I was, I had a feeling when you said that at the beginning, I have some really good friends that are from Japan from college. Oh, cool. And yeah, that's really cool. And do you speak Japanese too? Uh, I speak enough Mom. to travel and kind of get by, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't be able to explain what I do for a living. Oh, okay. But like, yeah, conversation, kind of conversational. Yeah, I, I could I mean, hang out. I could be fun to hang out with. Other than that, I don't know <laughs> much, uh, <laughs> decisions I can help people make, but I can hang out. <clears throat> that's incredible. That's a, that's a start right there. And how can people get in touch with you? I would direct people either to my Instagram. That's Shinabu Hindert, my full name. Um, I'm constantly putting up uh, educational video content on there. And then my website is empoweredplanning.com. And you can download a free copy of my book, kind of see what other courses we're offering and what else is out there. Perfect. Is your book is on Amazon, right? Too? Yep. Amazon or Barnes and okay. Noble. You can grab, grab a copy of oh. Investing is Your Superpower. 
Yes, amen. All right, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you, Allison.